Gad, this is Pinky of Pinky and the Brain, and you are listening to An Elegant Weapon. It's the only thing the Brain and I listen to just before we take over the world, which means we listen a lot, because we've never really taken over the world, have we? Oh well. No. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. This is a journey into sound. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 315. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi Ross, a Ross Jedi Jay, and as always, it is so wonderful to have all you beautiful babies back here with me in the L5J studio. This week, we return to our adventures at the Great Philadelphia Comic Con 2018. Ah, ah, ah. Uh, as you know, the Points of Interest Podcast Network is very privileged and honored to serve as panel hosts for this event. Uh, that includes yours truly. So I got to have some amazing conversations this year, uh, one of which you are about to hear. I had a conversation with Mr. Steve Whitmire. Steve Whitmire is the man who replaced the man, Mr. Jim Henson, as Kermit the Frog all them many years ago. Uh, for decades, he also performed as Ernie, Rizzo the Rat, uh, Beaker, uh, Skeksis, uh, Wembley, the Fraggle, uh, so much. He worked for the Henson Company since he was 18 and a half years old, and he has incredible stories galore, of which he shared many with us. Also, uh, up on the big comfy red couch, my very good friend, Mr. J.P. Fosgett, joined us, as he is pretty much, uh, at least in my universe, uh, the biggest Muppet fan I know, and he has a very, very specific story and reason as to why I bring him up on stage with us, which you are going to hear within the panel itself. Uh, Steve couldn't have been a nicer guy. He couldn't have been more gracious. He couldn't have been more open. Uh, just just wonderful. Uh, an all-in-all-out incredible experience getting to hang out and chat with Mr. Whitmire. Uh, so there you go, kids. Uh, this isn't the end either. We got some very cool stuff more to uh, come from the Great Philadelphia Comic Con as well Motor City Comic Con. Uh, so much cool stuff happening. But as for now, kids, please enjoy my and J.P. Fosgett's conversation with Mr. Steve Whitmire. Check, check. Hi. Awesomest sprocket doll ever. Wonderful Kira costume. And fizz gig. Hi, oh, everybody. That's dope. Are we excited? Is everybody having lots of fun today? Very, very, very cool. My name is Jay. This is my friend, Jay. I was Jay first, so. This is my friend, Bodie. 
I'm Bodhi Chol. Hi, everybody. So we know what everybody's here for today, and a really, really cool way that I thought we could introduce today's special guest. So this is Jay Fosgett. Jay Fosgett is a professional cartoonist. He's done work for Marvel, IDW, you may be familiar. He's been an artist on My Little Pony. And he's worked on some, uh, some Henson IPs in the past. Uh, when Jay was 11 years old, Jay wrote a letter to Jim Henson. In that letter, he asked Jim, he was a little worried. He was like, Jim, uh, you know, are, are the Muppets gonna stick around? When I grow up, am I gonna be able to work with you and work with the Muppets? Jim wrote him back, as Jim apparently often did. Wrote Jay back and said, look, the Muppets aren't going anywhere. We're working strong, they're gonna be around. I can't wait for you to grow up, get in touch with us. I love what you're doing, because he drew a little, couple little 11-year-old cartoons, you know. And lo and behold, Many years later, uh, is anyone aware of the Jim Henson exhibition going on in New York City? If you can see it, if you're in New York, you have to see this. It's an incredible, incredible experience. Well, anyways, they were putting together some things for the exhibit. They were going through Jim's old archives. He kept a lot of things, all his documents and such. They found Jay's letter from when he was 11 years old, and they found Jim's response to the letter decided to themselves, let's Google this guy and see if maybe what he said actually happened. Lo and behold, it had. Not only had Jay grown up to become a cartoonist, but he has worked for Henson in the past on several different things. And present. Yeah, so in the exhibit, the last thing you see when you're leaving the exhibition are Jay and Jim's letters framed beside each other as you leave. So. Jay knows more about Henson history, Muppet history, puppet history, cartoon history than any human being I've ever met in my life. So I thought it would be apropos to have Jay join us today to chat with our guest, the legendary Mr. Steve Whitmire. Where are you, Steve? Here he comes. Sit right there. I'll sit right here. Steve, thank you so much for joining you us are today. You're welcome. This is such a comfy sofa. Isn't it nice? Oh, we yeah, like to keep it yeah. chill. We like to keep I might it go to sleep. nice Nothing and relaxed. <laughs> so again, yes, thank you so much for, uh, sure, for joining sure. us. So we were having a chat the other night, and uh, I had introduced I, you to Jay. We yes. had that conversation, and you went into a story uh, you know, that very similar, very similar. but I know you story. have something that you'd like to say to everybody before we get started. Do I have something I'd like to say? Do you? I believe uh, I was uh, told you may have a little something, something you'd like to say. No, I really, all I want to say is thank you all for being here. It's very nice to meet the fans. You know, when I've worked with the Muppets over the years, it's been, um, I always say we work in a vacuum, you know, we're in a studio someplace and we have the crew there and we have you know, all those people, we have a great time, but we never have an audience. We never have fans in front of us. And so this is, a, this is my first Comic-Con, by the way. I've never done one of these out on the floor before. So really? I'm loving that. I yes, wasn't first time. Aware. Wow, that's exciting. This is a privilege for yeah. you. Yeah, oh, okay. thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. 
And it's really fun to, to meet all of you, you know, so if you haven't come over, please do. It's just great to meet everybody. Um, you know, I grew up with the Muppets as well, just like many of you did. And before I worked with them, I was just a fanatical, I think it's redundant to say fanatical fan, but that's what I was. <laughs> and um, so I kind of understand, you know, the influence the Muppets have on people. So anyway, I'm just thrilled you're all here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. So, uh, you know, we're going to keep things very happy and light and sure. on memory lane. Uh, so <laughs> how about you go ahead with the story you were telling us about you well, yourself uh, that, writing a letter tell you about. Yeah. To, to Jim. Would you like to start with that? Sure. Tell Let's us all talk about, about that. that. Right. Let's see. Well, I, I guess I remember the Muppets from when I was five years old. You know, I mean, I used to... That was back in the Jimmy Dean show days when Rolf the dog was on the Jimmy Dean show. Right. And I used to, I think I was about five or six, and I would beg my parents to let me stay up and watch Rolf, you know, whenever he was on. And even at that point as a little kid, I know that I, I knew it was a puppet, I mean, right? But, but I, I was fascinated by how this thing seemed so alive. And he had this big black hole of a mouth. It's like you could climb down inside of there, you know? And it, they were, the Muppets were, especially at that point, were so unique. Nobody was doing anything like that um, except Jim. And um, so by the time I was 10 years old, Sesame Street came on the air in 1968. I was 10. And I was obsessed with watching it every single day. Now, at that point, as most of us who are my age know, there were like three channels and PBS. So I would watch Sesame Street in the morning and then my local Atlanta PBS station would run the show again in the afternoon at 4 o'clock. So I started trying to build puppets, and they were really bad, but I, I did it anyway. And I built copies of all the Sesame Street characters. And then I would take my little cassette recorder, and, so I, and I would like dock, write down what was, what was on in the morning. And then by the afternoon, I would know, okay, that's coming after, after this thing, they're going to do Manamana. And then I would record it. So then I would go off and I would build Manamana. And then I would, for my friends, I would use their soundtrack, steal their soundtrack, and, uh, and play my, you know, do puppet shows. So wow. I, I wrote a letter to Jim Henson at that point, much like you did. I think you were a couple years older, but it was kind of the same idea. And in both our cases, he wrote back to us, right? I mean, this was Jim Henson, and he was my hero. So I still have this letter sitting around someplace. And... He, I, 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 you know, obviously I wasn't looking for a job at 10 years old, but he was so encouraging. Um, I wanted to know how to build puppets, and I said, you know, Mr. Henson, have you written a book on puppet building? And he hadn't. But he wrote back and told me that. He said, you know, but I encourage you to keep trying, building your own puppets, experimenting, which of course I did. And it, it really was that as much as anything that made me decide to do this forever, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was so inspirational, and that's the kind of person he was. So how do you continue on from that? When you start making puppets, how do you transition from just being a guy in his house making puppets right. to actually getting employed by the company and learning how to do this properly? Well, it was a different time. Okay. And, um, I, it's, you know, I, I think back to, like, Elvis Presley. When he recorded his first albums, it may have been a little easier to break into the music business. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And I wonder if it wasn't that way for me at the point when I got into the Muppets because... Jim was specifically, it, everything was just exactly the right thing at the right time. I was young and enthusiastic. I had this fanatical feeling about them, but I had only had so much experience. And Jim liked hiring young people who had 
enthusiasm, but not necessarily set in their ways on how to do things, because he wanted to teach them in the ways that he did it, uh, which was good for me. Right, right. And I came in at, at the height of the popularity of The Muppet Show in 1978. The show was really, I mean, literally like the biggest thing on the planet um, all over the world. And so it was a, gr it was a lot of work. Uh, I was only 19. It was a great time to come in because things were really booming. So I was learning with, from these original guys like Jim and Frank and Jerry Nelson, Richard Hunt and Dave, um, and picking up different things about the way they did the Muppets from each of them individually. Right. Do you, so sorry. I can't imagine learning it any better way. Right. You know? You're just thrown into the fire yeah. kind of thing. So yeah. do you start as a builder, as a performer, as both? How well, I, I thought I was going to start as both. Um, I, uh, actually, the way it happened, and I'm sorry Carol can't be with us right now. He's, he's just taking it easy so he can see all of you later over at his booth. But um, I met Carol, and he's actually the guy who really got me into the Muppets. Um, I, I was living in Atlanta at the time. I'd grown up in Atlanta. He was at a puppetry festival in the Atlanta area. And... Uh, I just went as a teenager because I wanted to meet someone who worked for the Muppets. I obviously wasn't really looking for a job. And it turned out that I was the only person in the late 70s at this festival who was doing Muppet-like puppets. I mean, I didn't have character, Muppet characters, but I built characters of my own that were that style of puppet. And so Carol sort of recruited me into the Muppets. He went back to Jim and said, I think you should meet this guy. That's amazing. And. Um, Jim, the Muppet Show was expanding, getting bigger. He had all these future projects. Right. And so he was looking for a couple of new people, and I turned out to be one of them. That's amazing. It was, it, yeah, it's uh, serendipity. It's that moment when everything comes together. Do you remember the first time you live or on TV performed your first Oh, my goodness. With, with Jim. It was with Jim. Well, okay. I, was doing, I, was doing, no, I was doing a little bit of television locally in Atlanta. Uh, just about the time I got out of high school, okay. there was this little tiny, uh, anybody remember, uh, uh, what was it, UHF or UHF, I guess it was, when you had to have that little round antenna on your television? Well, this was a, <laughs> this was a UHF channel in Atlanta, almost like cable access, and they put me on the, this wonderful man named Don Kennedy, who was a former child show host when I was a kid, owned this channel, put me on the air, two and a half hours, which is a long time, two and a half hours a day, live, doing my hand puppet guy that wow. I had built, my character named That's Otis. Crazy. <laughs> and I took telephone calls from everybody who was viewing, and it was so much fun. It's something I'd love to go back and do again, because it was so much fun. Right. It, and, it, and it was like going to, you know, I don't know whether you guys know this, but when we work, we, we always look at monitors. We, we don't really look up at the puppets very much. We look down at the television screen so that we see what the audience is going to see in the final product. And I hadn't done very much of that at that stage. So to be able to have the opportunity to do that, I did that show for six months, every single day for two and a half hours a day. It was a bit like going to television puppet school. Right, right. You know, because you know, if any of you ever do anything in front of a camera, you know that it's a little backwards. It's not like a mirror. And with puppets, that can get very confusing because we're so so specifically picky about their focus of their eyes and certain angles and movements. And the movements are quite small. I mean, we do things with the Muppets where they move big, you know, but, but a lot of what we always did is, is very subtle movement. Our, our, one of our rules was, the at least my rule was, the character doesn't move unless it has a reason to move. 
You know, you don't just have them moving all the time. They, they, they're thinking, they're having a thought process. It's gotta be hard to control that. Slow yourself down and yeah. just stop your hand. Well, it, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, people say, did your arm get tired? And it, it does sometimes because you're basically saying steady for a long right. time. It's not right. because you're supporting weight. It's because you're staying absolutely still. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, yeah. That, I don't know how heavy that is, but it looks big. It's heavy. It's, it's heavy, heavy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, even when I've tried Bodhi or had puppets on, you kind of can't help but even like do the tilt head. Yeah. Because it's so cute. Even sure. when you're sitting there, you can't sure. help but like give it some life, even when yep. it doesn't need to have. But that's kind that of the moment. point. You want to give it life. Right, right. You know? But there's a fine line, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> um, can we get a little specifically into a certain sure, puppet that, sure. that you spent a couple years, years <laughs> sure, doing? Sure, sure. Uh, Kermit. Of yeah. course, Kermit the Frog. Yeah. <laughs> Was that a grooming process? Was that just you were the re best ready when the time had to come and we lost Jim? Rest um, in peace, of course. Well, evidently, from what, I, from what I've heard over the years, Jim was thinking, you know, he was trying to sell his company to Disney in 1990 when he died. Back then? Yeah, he was in wow. the process of that sale happening. Wow. And, you know, unfortunately, it was a sudden illness. No, you know, Jim was a healthy guy. He took care of himself. He right. worked too hard, but he took care of himself. And um, so at that point, I think he had this thought in his mind that he might be too busy to continue doing Kermit because he was going to be very much the equivalent of, um, of oh, my God, this is horrible. I just forgot the, the main guy at Pixar. John Some, Lasseter? John Lasseter, thank you. That's terrible. And I know John well <laughs> enough that it, if anybody's watching this. But, but he was going to sort of be like John Lasseter coming in as a new creative force within Disney. Uh, in 1990. So he was going to be extremely busy in pursuing new projects and new things and new characters. And I think, you know, I don't think it was his definite plan, but I, the thought had crossed his mind that he might just get too busy. Right. And, and that was no disrespect to this character that he loved and everyone loved because of course. Jim was always looking to the next thing. Right. He, he never looked back at his old work and tried to copy it or change it or think about it. He was always thinking about the next thing. So for him, it was the logical progression to move forward. Right, right. So I think that's, and I think he had evidently mentioned to oh, his wife Jane and a couple of people that he, he had thought about maybe I would be the guy to right do on. that. Did you work on Sesame Street before Kermit, or did you start to work on Sesame Street from The Muppet Show because you took over Kermit? Well, but because you've already, can right. you name a few of the, the Muppets that you did perform, just so we have well, a few of the ones? Sure. Straight. I mean, I, I did take over a few characters. Takeover is an odd word, but I, but I stepped in to do, to do a number of yeah, characters right. that other guys had originated, like Richard Hunt, who was one of our main guys for so many years, passed away in 1992. And I then ended up doing Beaker for, you know, since that time. And um, Statler, Statler was actually passed around amongst a few people until we decided who was going to do what, which is rare. We usually just say, you're the person who's cast as this character. But in this case, we were kind of settling in. And because I had started doing Kermit, Kermit consumed so much of my time that we sort of had to be careful about who was doing what character. You know, if, if one guy or two guys are doing all the characters, there's not enough diversity in the group. Right. Um, you need the characters to be spread out to a certain degree, at least I think so. Because then, you, you know, we can only do one at a time. Absolutely. Um, actually, Sesame Street happened because of Ernie, who was one of Jim's characters as well. And it just sort of so happened, I, I started doing Ernie as voiceovers uh, at a time when I don't think there was certainty that Ernie would go on. 
Um, and I began to do toy records, and you know, they do tons of Sesame Toys. So I did that for a couple of years, and then it, the, the decision was made to let Ernie start back in on the show. And um, you know, we, several people were talked about, but I, I had been doing the voice, so I ended up doing the character. That's so much It was fun. great. And the best part of that for me was, one of the things Jim had said to me when he first brought me into the company, um, was that he wanted me to go work directly on The Muppet Show. But I had always thought, because I'd met Carol, it'd be great to work. Sesame Street was my inspiration when I was 10 years old. And I actually never worked on that show until after Jim's death. So oh. in a way, it gave, you know, not that that's a good thing, but I got the opportunity at least to be a part of that show for, uh, for I think, about 24 years. Wow, wow. So What's that was the great. difference from like being on The Muppet Show set and then to performing on Sesame Street is... Is, is there a different mindset when performing for children and well, how you perform the puppet? Actually, no. Um, it was pretty much the same in terms of, I mean, different people, obviously, doing the show. But those two shows were, you know, Jim was such an influence over both the original Muppet show and over the characters on Sesame Street. And he and Frank, you know, used to always say they weren't, they weren't aiming their performances towards children. They weren't trying to be children's show performers they were doing what made them laugh. You know, the curriculum obviously is for kids, but they, I don't think the thought was ever that those characters were created specifically for children. Okay. Even, I mean, you know, Big Bird is, is a young child, but there's a sophistication. There is depth to those characters, especially right. Ernie and Bert. I mean, you know, that team is amazing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, and I carried forth with that. We just did what made us laugh. I mean, we had a script, but we, you know, we would make it silly, and sometimes they would allow us to add things and ad-lib and play a little bit, as long as we kept the core teachings there, you know. Right, right. It must have been interesting on Sesame Street as compared to Muppet Show, even though you had, a, like, a weekly guest, yep. was the fact that there was a human cast. Yes. And was there, like, rehearsal? Would they rehearse? With, sure. Yeah? Yeah. yeah, yeah, everything was rehearsed. It, I actually really liked that because, though we, you know, we had guest stars on The Muppet Show, but most of that Sesame Street human cast, those original guys, who unfortunately so many of them are not a part of the show at this point. Too bad, because they, they're still out there, you know? Oh, oh. And, and they, um, it was a big deal for me. Again, I was 10 years old, and they were celebrities to me. Right. You know? The, you know Heroes. Gordon yeah. and Susan and Bob and yeah, those characters, you know? Yeah. So to get the chance to work with those people and yeah. to be accepted into that group, it was, it was very much a family feeling on Sesame Street. That's cool. You know? That's very nice. And at that stage, Sesame Street still felt, to me, very much like a, almost like a real street. I, I remember when I was in my early teens, I... You know, I was too old for Sesame's curriculum, but I kind of had this thought in my head that when, you know, the show went off the air every day, you could, if you still went over and you knocked on the trash can, Oscar would be there. It, it felt very much like a real community, like a real street. And, I, and I, it seems to have gotten slightly away from that these days for all kinds of reasons. Things progress and change, but that was my, that was the golden era of the street to me, was the community feeling of that show, you yeah. know? Right when I was a perfect little kid watching it, Jay, I know you're burning with questions. What so, do you got? Yeah, we're, I don't mean to ignore you. <laughs> no, it's, not at all. Not I've been all. the one taking up all the time. <laughs> and we will get to a, a couple questions from you guys. In fact, how about if you have some questions, this is our question, Mike. Sure. Remember, this is a Sesame Street panel. We're here to remember good times. After some questions, I think we'll talk yeah. to Steve about what's, what's he's got cooking and what's in store because 
Dude, a guy with your career and your experience, I can't imagine what kind of stuff is popping out of your head that yeah. you probably want to do now. Sure. So, uh, Jay, why don't you go ahead and start us off with the question. You had a great question earlier. All right. I had one question, though. I've, I've done my research on you since I was a kid. <laughs> okay. And the big thing is, so you worked briefly for the Sid and Marty Croft uh, yeah. in Atlanta. What was it? It was indoor amusement park, basically? Yeah, in 1976. Um, Sid and Marty Croft. I assume many of you know who Sid and Marty Croft are. They did H.R. Puffin stuff and Lidsville, all these shows throughout my childhood that were, you know, they were puppeteers and, and costume guys and yeah. amazing work. They opened an indoor theme park in Atlanta, which is where I was living. Uh, the only, at least the first, maybe the only indoor theme park ever, and it was eight levels of this massive complex called the Omni, which is now where CNN is based. They own those eight levels. Um, and it was very cool. Yeah? Yeah. I went down to audition with a friend of mine who was a, who was a quite a talented ventriloquist. I, I was not going to audition, but my friend Gary went down to audition, and he used one of my... I had built a puppet that he used to audition with. And I don't think Gary ended up taking the job. In fact, I know he didn't, but when he came out, they said they'd also like to meet the guy who made the puppet. Mm -hmm. So... I was just there with my friend to let him use one of the puppets. And when I went back, they, um, they ended up hiring me to do one of the characters I had built. Um, which, and, which, by the way, that would never happen now. If one of you walked in with your own creation to Disneyland, they're not going to let you use your character in there. That is not the way it works. Oh. But the Crofts did that. Amazingly, they let me use my character, which was really something. It was great fun. The other thing I wanted to ask um, is if you had one particular puppeteer who you kind of emulated your style of. Yep. I, I shouldn't say emulate, because here's the thing. I'm not a great puppeteer, but what I know about it yeah. has been from watching you in particular. As, wow. as far as I'm concerned, there's no better puppeteer who's worked under the Hensons than you. And that's well, not an insult you. to any of them. Wow. They're all talented. But your dexterity, and you hit every syllable, and you have such a kinetic energy to all your characters. In particular, I'm thinking of Wembley from Fraggle Rock. But I would try and capture the lip movements that you do, you know, standing in the mirror and all that. Right, so right, right. I was just wondering, like, was there one that you could pick out? You're like, okay, I like his maneuverability with the puppets. I want to do something like that, or the way he moves the mouth, or whatever. Well, I guess as a... As a child, uh, you know, as a 10-year-old or whatever, when I first started getting interested in this, I was very drawn to Jim's characters. It was, but it was something about the personality and, the, and, the, and the, those, you know, that's what I was drawn to as much as anything. Also, Jim was the person you knew. If you knew, if you knew anything about the Muppets at that point, you had to kind of read the credits to get the other guys. But Jim was the creator, so you knew who Jim Henson was. Um, but really, in terms of style... I, would, I think I touched on this a few minutes ago. I feel like the best thing that ever happened to me was when I came into the Muppet Show, I was really learning under five different people with five very different styles. And I like to think that what happened is that I was able to pick sort of the things that I found the most useful from all five of those people. Yeah. Um, and, and I could go into that. I won't go into all of it, but there really were, you know, Jim, Frank, Jerry, Richard, and Dave were very different in their styles and their approaches. And each of them brought something to the table that balanced. And I've tried to incorporate as much of that as I can into yeah. the characters. 
it was definitely your own style. Like, I would never look at your puppeteering style and say, oh, that's obviously yeah. Richard Hunt, but I have the book of Muppets and Men that sure. I got when I was 11. Yep. And in there, I'm, either Frank said it or Jim said it. I want to say it was Frank that you were the finest puppeteer he'd ever met. Oh, what's that? He said what? He said you were the finest puppeteer that he'd ever met. Me? Yes. Wow. So, and I, I would have to agree. In fact, it took yeah. me all these years later sorry, to where, see... where'd you see that? <laughs> have you ever seen the book of Muppets? Yeah, I have yeah. I'll have to read it again. Yeah, check it out. There's a second. <laughs> yeah. it's, either, it's either Frank or Jim, and you were compared to Frank's style. Yeah. But, and I love Frank's manipulation. Frank, Frank might have, I mean, J I think Jim might have said, okay, I see, I have a little recollection, tiny recollection. Yeah. Of that. I try not to listen too close to that stuff because it's easy to, you know, well, yes, of course I am. <laughs> well, you have I, a heck of right. a legacy. I feel like if somebody's going to say that, I have to earn it. You've <laughs> you earned know? it. Oh, yeah, I think you, you might have earned it. Hi there, how are you? What's your name and what's your question? Steve, how are you? Yes, sir. Good to see you. See, you mentioned earlier about um, with the camera and holding the phone. What's it, how harder is it for you when you do live interviews as permits such as The Late Show, The Today Show, when you're live on television rather than recording it in advance? How harder is it for you playing that role? It's, it's more challenging, but it's my, it has always been my favorite thing to do. Um, my, my, I guess because my background was that original little show that I did in Atlanta was completely improvised. We wrote nothing. We came up with no original material and we got that from playing off of the phone callers, you know? And it's what I love doing more than anything. I mean, the best thing in the world is to walk into, you know, Jimmy Fallon and you've just met Jimmy Fallon and then you climb under a chair and they let you, they let you cut a hole in their $5,000 piece of furniture, you know, and you're up underneath there and you're completely out of sight. And then they come back from commercial and this character comes to life and you have no idea what the next thing coming out of your mouth is, you know? You don't really know what he's gonna say and you don't know, I don't know. I got to a place with Kermit, it was really interesting, um, where I literally had no idea. It, it's almost like Kermit was a separate entity. It's an odd thing to describe because he's on the end of my hand, but I, I'm watching him down here just like the rest of you would. and. Sometimes I would just start talking and really not know what Kermit was going to say. It was an odd experience, you know. A little bit schizophrenic, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> That's sure, awesome. Thank sure. You. Hi, what's your name and your uh, question? Stephen, and uh, I know yep. this is about sex between and all that, but I was kind of wondering it's about okay. uh, Fraggle Rock. Yeah, was, like, sure. The show and all the experiences and so forth. Thank you, Stephen. Fraggle Rock was... I just said that was my favorite thing to do, but my favorite series that I worked on was Fraggle Rock, and I've done a handful now. Um, I mean, they all had their good things, but Fraggle was a time when Jim was wanting to do more things like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal. So he kind of set up Fraggle for all of us to have this great project to work on in a way while he was off doing things like getting ready for Labyrinth, you know? And he was around a little bit. He did a couple of characters. He would come through town, but he wasn't always in Toronto when we were shooting. So... In a way that gave people, all of us actually, the whole cast, a chance to really grow as performers. And it's not that Jim, Jim let us do whatever we wanted to do, you know, but, but it gave us the freedom to do whatever we wanted to do, you know, uh, to a large degree. And the characters really developed and grew. And I know as a performer with Wembley in particular, I mean, Wembley was kind of just me, you know. Yeah. He was this young, excitable guy who couldn't make decisions, you know. 
Uh, so it was therapy, basically. Nice. Very good. Thank but you. Yeah. I'd just like to mention that if you're unaware, you've got coming to you a brand new comic book series oh. of Fraggle Rock, of which issue two is drawn by Mr. Jay Foss. Oh my here. goodness, I didn't know that. Good so you. there you go. Congratulations. And you might see a certain little Fraggle in there with a certain little hat and <laughs> certain little gray sidebirds in there. He's just a cute little Wimbley used to make this little noise where he would go. <laughs> I, I love that. I don't know how you write that in a comic, but <laughs> if there's a way to put it in there. <laughs> Anybody can figure it out, it's this guy. Hi, how are you? Hey, my name happens to be Steven as well. Is, uh, so far, everyone who came up, right, except Everybody's one guy. Steven. <laughs> That's okay. cool. Easy on me. Jay, um, I'm a donor of the, the Queen's exhibit, and yeah. that's why we were pointing at you. Um, she actually saw that letter as we were leaving and saying, I wonder what happened to that kid. I'm so, what happened. That's really amazing. Thank wow. you. Wow. For you, wow. Steve, um, the world has moved on, obviously. We have, um, the Sesame Street is now digital. It's now, it's changed formats. Yeah. Uh, I got to meet a lot of the humans at, in Queens. Sure. And a lot of them have now retired. Yep. The Muppets have continued to do great things. I have no complaints. Um, as an original, and I think I can call you an original because you were there for the Muppet Show. Right. Even though you weren't an original. It's hard to know. Yeah, originals like right. the year I was born or something. But yes, right. I know what you mean. But since you're an original in my book. Sure. Um, for you and your experience, what is it that makes the Muppets work? Um, absolute attention to their individuality. That, that's really it. It's, it's, it's all about character. Frank, when I first joined the company, I remember Frank saying one time, and I'm paraphrasing, something like, oh no, the Muppets aren't puppets, they're characters, and I had no idea what he was talking about. But I know what he meant. You know, they, they are really strong, deep individuals. And that is a, an extension of the performer. So that's why the puppets, that, that's why the different Muppet characters, Jim kind of intended for them, for it to be a lifelong commitment from a performer. As long as they were willing to be a part of his company, they were gonna be their character, you know? Um, but that's it, they, their, their individuality is, is vital. That's excellent. Yeah. Hi there. Hi Steve, my hey. name is Hallie. Um, when I was about 10 years old, my mother bought for me a book named The Muppets Make Puppets. Oh, yeah. Which was a book that went through, what, which you said you didn't have, how to yeah. make different puppets, different materials. Uh, I'd have loved that book when I was a kid. It yeah. was phenomenal, and it inspired me when I was a kid. I did a whole project. I made sure. my own puppets using like wooden spoons. And was your experience is the reason why that book was created? So, so, so your reason, the, when you said that there wasn't a book Oh, because it didn't, exist. it didn't oh, exist. Oh, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, the closest thing I had to anything like that was Jim had done this special, which I think you could probably find on the internet now, maybe YouTube, called Muppets on Puppets. Mm -hmm. It's black and white, and it's, it's priceless. It's Jim and Frank when he had a full head of hair, and, you know, all the Don Celine, who, if you don't know who Don Celine was, he was the original puppet builder with Jim's company who came up with so many amazing things like the shape of Ernie and the, all the, the way you build that nose that's shaped like that. But there was, that's the closest thing I had was this TV special, which it wasn't like you could go to Netflix and watch it whenever you liked, you know? So it, it, I'm sure that was answering that call. 
the supply, it was, I'm sure it was far more about that than selling a product. Is, is a lot, and I think Cheryl Henson had a lot to do with that book. It was a matter of giving um, young people the opportunity to at least have a start, you know. Yeah, it's a great book, great book. They actually shot awesome. that special here in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Well, my quick story on that was that when I was this 11-year-old, 10, 11-year-old, I got on the phone and called the local PBS program director. Like, I'm a 10-year-old, right? And I said, his name was Jim Scott, and I bugged the daylights out of this poor man and said, can you run that special? Because I'd really like to see it. I mean, like telling him what he should put on the air. And he did. Wow. He got the wow. special and ran it. And he said, okay, uh, it's been six months, but I finally got the special. We're going to run it for you. That's cool. It was amazing. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Hey. You, that'll pull down You can a pull bit. it down yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Oh, thank you. There you go. Yeah. What's his, he's Bill Nye, even at other times of the day. Yeah. There were just so many brilliant people. I always, uh, Bob Ross, I always wondered what it was like interacting with all those. Well, I have to be honest with you. I did meet Fred Rogers at one point, but we, but you know, they were, they, we were in one place and they were shooting in another place and we didn't cross paths a lot. Now, that's me because I was, when I was working on Sesame Street, it was a matter of, what we would usually do with all the Ernie and Bert pieces that I was shooting, Kermit wasn't there very much, mostly Ernie, is that I would go up for a week or two to New York and we would shoot a whole ton of those pieces, like day after day after day. We'd do, you know, five to a day. And they would, that's what they call banking them. They would have them all back there. And then when they did the rest of the show, they would put those pieces into the shows. So once in a while, you know, someone would wander in and I'd get to meet them. And I did not meet Mr. Rogers once, which was, Pretty neat. Yeah, I imagine it would be amazing to work with those Oh, sure. On the same really yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Thank yeah, you so thank much. You. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Oh, well, oh, first game. I love it. Oh, that's great. That's adorable. Hi. You got, even got all the rows of teeth. Yes, I did. I wanted to make sure I had the accurate rows. <laughs> but obviously, I love Dark Crystal. Yeah. Um, just in terms of Right. Um, if you can elaborate on your experience, and also specifically to my understanding, you performed the scientist sketches? Along with a whole bunch of people I was dragging along behind me, but yes. So yeah, I wondered if you could elaborate on that final scene where he was attacked by all the oh, where prisoners. Oh, he falls down the pit? Yeah, the best story about that is, well, okay, first of all, if you don't know, those sketches, this is the part you don't know, is that they were like wearing a torture device. They were these tight metal harnesses that placed the weight on your hip bones, which sounds better than being on your shoulders, but it really wasn't. It was incredibly painful. You know, we were all dying. Um, so I'm in there with one arm like this, in the head, of course, and the other arm is running a mechanical big scaly hand. Then there would be another puppeteer, could be any number of people, on the other side, running the other hand. And then at that point, it was really, we were getting the, the electrical, uh, remote-controlled animatronics were very new. So we didn't have a lot of that going on. It was mostly done with these bicycle cables. And you'd squeeze this thing underneath the puppet and the eye would blink or the face would pulse, right? So in order to make all that work at one time, you had like eight people 
you were dragging around behind you running cables, you know, um, and like scurrying along the floor. So that was a little bit tough. But when we went to, the interesting thing about that for me was that I was able to do the voice of that character, which was hard. It was basically, anybody of you know who Peter Lorre is? The actor Peter yeah, yeah. Lorre? That's what I was going for. I was like, you know, Peter Lorre. Uh, which that's not really Peter Lorre, but that was my Peter Lorre. And Jim said, could you, do a, could you do a voice record? We're just getting everybody to do it. He didn't think I would be doing it. And uh, so I, I did this character who was like this. And um, Jim came, Jim and Frank, because they co-directed that film, they came to me the next week and said, where did that voice come from? And I said, oh, I thought it was like really bad. And I said, oh, I, it was just something I was trying. They said, that's exactly what we want the Skeksis to sound like. So I got to do the voice. So when, you may not know this either, when we, when we, the Dark Crystal was done in a language of its own. I don't remember what it's called. Some of you may know. But, but, but those, the Skeksis spoke their own language, which was based on an actual language that had, it made sense. I mean, you had to say it right. So we dubbed this whole thing after the fact in that language. They did the tests of the film in front of audiences, and no one could figure out what the film was about because they were speaking this weird language. It made no sense. So they said, okay, we're going to redub the film. We're going to do it half in the Skeksis language, which probably has a name, and half in English. They tested it again, and the audience had no clue what the film was about. They said, okay, now we're going to do it in English. So we did the whole thing in English. Well, that voice is pretty taxing. But for some reason, I think this was Jim's mischievous Ernie side, he decided to have me do that scream falling down the pit every time we dubbed it. So, and he would say, we're, go we're, we're just going to save that. We do everything else first, and then we'll let you scream. I would do it like five times, you know, and the next day I couldn't talk, right? Just, ah! At the top of my lungs, you know? Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Would you say you used that similar voice for Fraggle Rock? Uh, yeah. For that one character? Yeah, Marlon. Marlon Fraggle. Love the Marlin. creepiest little weird puppet ever. <laughs> he just, he had like one eye that was bigger than the other, and I thought, oh, well, he has to be this creepy little guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, lo I love that voice. It's just such a weird voice, you know? Hi and there. by the way, I stole, I don't, I, that's not really what Peter Laurie sounds like, but if you look him up, once in a while you'll find something where he gets pretty close to that. <laughs> oh, I, I hear it in He there. gets very I, breathy. Yes, you know. He's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hi there. Hey. Hey, big muffin fan. So, Hi. out of all the voices you've done, well, I'm trying to say this, you've done very good voices of Kermit and Ernie. Thank you. That Jim Henson has done before. Yeah. What is the one voice that you try to imitate but you just can't do it. Because it was oh. too hard, or press your voice, or... Well, I'll tell you, the, the one that I had the most trouble with... I, by the way, I'm horrible with um, impressions of people. Now, Peter Laurie, that's different. But, but trying, like, if you ask me to do an impression of us, I'm really bad at that. I can't... I'm not one of those people... It's like drawing caricatures. You know, some people find the essence of a person, and they can exaggerate it. I'm not really good at picking that out in people's voices. Once in a while, you get lucky. But the hardest character I ever had to try to do, this is ridiculous. Do you guys remember a character named Mr. Poodle Pants? Well, he wasn't one of my big known characters. But there's a guy named Kirk Thatcher, who's one of our longtime collaborators and directors, terrific guy, a zany person. And he, this was something Kirk used to do, was this character, and it was Ed Wynn. You know, Edwin, who talked like this. I had such a hard time getting even close. I, wanted, I just wanted Kirk to do it. 
I want, he, he's, he's, he's not a, 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 an experienced puppeteer, but I just said, we've got to teach you to puppeteer because I can't do it. That was the hardest thing I ever tried to do was get into that character. Right, right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you yeah, very you're welcome. much. And look what we have here. I know, we oh, met yesterday. Rocket. That is a beautiful puppet. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what is your name? Um, Stephanie. Yeah, I Stephanie. met Stephanie yesterday. Muppets since you were little, basically. Yeah. And what was it like telling your family all these years you're going into Muppets? And they think you're <laughs> out of your mind, you're sure they do. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> and then you finally tell them, I've got a job. Okay. What look did they give you? <laughs> well, the interesting part of that is I, I got the job while I was like 18, so I was still living at home with my parents, right? And I was barely out of high school. And my parents were very supportive about this in a cautious way. Because I'm living in this little, you know, urban, sort of almost rural town in Georgia, and what are the odds that I would ever work for the Muppets, you know? It's just not that likely it's gonna happen, right? And I could be the biggest fan in the world. I remember my dad having this conversation with me once where he said, very gently, he just said, you know, what if this puppet thing doesn't work out? <laughs> I mean, you know, nice. don't you, you uh, yeah. oh, but dad, no, no, I've got, you know. So, anyway, it, and it, yeah. fortunately it did. But I think they were cautiously, they were very supportive, but in a cautious way. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Thank you <laughs> right, so much. Right, rightly so, you know. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Hi. Hello. Um, I was just wondering, Steve, out of, I think, I think that's your name, out of all the characters that you've played, which one is your favorite? Well, the most fun that I've had with any character I've done was Rizzo, Rizzo the Rat. Rizzo? Yeah. I love Rizzo so much. Well, I do too, and and I mean, he was a he was a character that I originated, which was great fun. And he grew so much over the years. And for the first four or five years that I was doing Rizzo, again, I was very young, and I lived in Georgia. And suddenly, I'm around all these talented performers, and I I had no idea how to do a New York accent. I, I, it wasn't within me to do it. And then I'm there with Richard and Jerry, who are these two brilliant performers. And they're doing rats around Rizzo. Rizzo's supposed to be the leader of the rats. And I've got these two incredibly strong performers, and I'm this shy person trying to hold my own. It was really hard. But I probably learned a lot from the two of them about, you know, how you talk with it, the, the New York thing, you know? Um, and then Rizzo became like a, an outlet, you know? I do Kermit most of the time, and Kermit's nice and pure and he has his moments where he gets frustrated but he's basically this good-hearted graceful person we all know right and Rizzo could be kind of a jerk sometimes you know <laughs> you know on the days you get up and you're in a in not in the best mood I think I think Carol might relate this to Big Bird and Oscar they're like opposite ends of your emotional spectrum you know it's the same kind of thing so Rizzo probably my favorite very nice yeah uh, Rizzo and Pepe yeah. Is a combination. Oh, that, it yeah. blows my mind the fact that it's, to me, it's the funniest combination <laughs> of two Muppets, yet the simplest little tiniest mouth flapping. I feel of like Muppets. that's part of why they work because they're these two little uh, annoying little guys who feel this sense of entitlement to everything, you know? Yeah. And they just push their way in. D fun. Done by Bill Beretta, who's a, f a Philly native, by the way. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. He's, How are you? Uh, hi, I'm doing great today. My name's Logan. Uh, hey, Logan. Again, we know each other. Yes. So, uh, what is your personal favorite Sesame Street or The Muppets song? Oh, wow. Um, 
Well, it sounds like a cliche for me to say this, but my, the first time I heard It's Not That Easy Being Green was on Sesame Street when Jim performed it and certainly loved it. Um, Rubber Ducky was always great. You know, I look forward to seeing that one. And of course, Manamana was fantastic. But do any of you remember back in the early days of Sesame, I don't know how they got away with this, I guess it was just different times. Jim did these sketches to like Beatles songs, like Yellow Submarine and Octopus's Garden. You couldn't do that now, you couldn't yeah. afford it. Yeah, yeah. And they just, I'm sure they just stole it, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know. It didn't matter then. But those things are pretty great too. That's great. How many times in your career have you sang uh... Rainbow Connection? Yeah. I get asked that sometimes, and it's, I don't, I don't know, uh, but it's, it's, it's more of a rhetorical, it, you're probably saying it a lot type A lot. <laughs> it, it comes with the territory with yeah. Kermit because yeah, people yeah. want to hear that. And by yeah. the way, I'm not going to sing it now, so just no, don't even no, think no, that. Yeah. No, um, singing. no singing. No singing. No, I start to cry. I can't yeah. do that. Um, but yeah. I, I, it's a, such a beautiful song. And um, as you probably all know, Paul Williams wrote this. And Paul is a dear friend to all of us who work with the Muppets. He's worked with us on many, many things for many, many years. So... I was always right proud on. to be able to do it. All know. right, guys, all right. We're running pretty short on time here, so we only got a couple Thank more you questions. Oh, you're welcome, Thank Logan. you. How are you? Hey, Hi. how are you again? Hey. These are all my pals. Right on. Oh, I love you guys. Frank, what, uh, sorry, Keith, what was it like working with Frank Oz? The guy uh, who did Bird, Cookie Monster, Global, Animal. Yep. Uh, you know, Yoda, uh, Mick Piggy. I know, uh, yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. Dan the Eagle, oh, man. Frank Oz. <laughs> God bless you. Awesome. Well, yeah, I agree. Like working with all the legendary who I look up to, what would it like to knowing that you will work with these wonderful people? Good yeah, Lord, yeah. Right on. God bless. Yeah, it was, the, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to a Muppet fan. Oh. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. It's something I figured out because I had the opportunity to be a really big fan. And then I had certain preconceived notions about the Muppets. I had my own thoughts about them and my own interpretations. And then, but to have the opportunity then to move into an area where I was working along people like Jim and Frank, um, you know, and a lot of my preconceived notions were flat wrong. And I, you know, it was great to to see to have those things turned into to a more accurate perspective of who the Muppets right. are. Right. Um, Jim had a lot of great methods in the way that he did things, and. Um, very important to the Muppet's success. You know? Amazing, amazing. Yeah, hey, thank you. Guys, I'm very, very sorry, but we have to ah. cut it short right there. We've got another panel coming in. We gotta get sorry, Steve. Guys. But if you guys wanna go over to Steve's table, I'm sure you're happy I, to answer of all these type questions there. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming. Having a chat with the legendary thank you all. Mr. Steve Whitmire. Thanks, guys.